Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. When were the... What school's up? Who decides what the next... Where's that story? Why they keep the loop? What is this? It's Curious City. Where WBEZ answers your questions... About Chicago, the region, and its people. Hi, I'm Chris Bentley, a reporter for Curious City. A few weeks ago, we looked at why some apartment buildings don't have recycling. But that left a lot of you wondering about the apartments and houses that do. Specifically, what happens to the stuff average Chicagoans throw in their curbside or alleyway blue carts? We get asked this a lot, mostly from skeptics. And why wouldn't you be skeptical? You might remember the city's ill-fated blue bag program. Or you figure it's just cheaper to send the stuff to the landfill. Or maybe you just don't trust Chicago government. One of these skeptics is a dance teacher who lives in Edison Park on Chicago's far northwest side. Uh, My name is Sarah Bibick, and I want to know if Chicago really recycles from the blue bins. It's the $10,000 question, isn't it? I, I hope it's true. Do you have kids? Two kids, mm-hmm. 14 and 11. Do they like to recycle? They do love to recycle, and they get angry if they see recycling in the garbage. <laughs> I've trained them well. <laughs> Bibic wonders, is that recycling training doing any good? Or is recycling all a sham? To answer her question, we'll take you on a trip from Chicago alleyways all the way through the elaborate sorting facilities where garbage gets prepped for its second act. We'll find out how much of the stuff in the blue carts ultimately gets thrown out. We'll hear how a cash-strapped city is tangled up in a multi-billion dollar global supply chain. And we'll hear how recycling connects you, yes you, to bauxite miners on the other side of the planet. So, let's follow the trash. Hey, could you tell us your name, please? Uh, Ken Barron. I'm a laborer for City of Chicago. A laborer what? Garbage man. But also a recycling man, as it were. Yes, we, uh, this truck picks up recycling. In the alleys, we have black carts and blue carts, which is blue carts are recycling. We're here just to dump the blue carts today. But not all of that stuff makes it out of the alley. If workers like Barron open the lid of a blue recycling bin and see garbage, they slap an orange sticker on that cart. That flags it for the next garbage truck, and the owner will get a letter from the city. Um, a lot of people put bags in there. No, the, the whole thing is, like, the jewel bags, uh, glad bags, they're not supposed to be in recycling. Um, they put hard plastic in there. If you look on the plastic, it has a number on it. We pick everyone up except number six. So there's one through seven. We do not pick up six, which is a harder plastic or styrofoam. We do not pick up. Last year, Chicagoans sent off 104,000 tons of stuff in their blue carts and about eight times as much in their garbage bins. That number, 104,000 tons, is an all-time high. Until February of 2014, parts of the city were still waiting for curbside recycling bins, first promised seven years earlier. After city employees like Barron, or in some cases private contractors, load their trucks, they drive to one of Chicago's transfer stations. It's basically 34th and Pulaski, industrial area of the city. This is Chris Sauve, recycling director for the city's Department of Streets and Sanitation. So we have waste and recycling trucks that uh, pull in and out of here five days a week. Some of them are named Princess, looks like. 
We have prince and princesses in our fleet. Giant scales weigh the trucks, which then pull into a big, empty warehouse. There, they just dump their contents onto the floor. Garbage in one pile, recycling in another on the other end of the room. There's not much that occurs in terms of any sort of processing here. It's really just a transfer site, dump site. Material is dumped out on the floor and then hauled out of here to some other location. At this point, everything from Chicago's blue bins is still destined for recycling, not the landfill. Except those bins with orange contamination stickers we heard about earlier. But this is also where Chicago's recycling becomes someone else's stuff. The city sells its recyclables to two private companies, the creatively named Waste Management and Resource Management. These companies send over trucks to scoop up recyclables from transfer stations and take them to sorting facilities, like one on the far southeast side of the city, where I meet Mike Tunney, Waste Management's area director of recycling. Okay, we're on the tipping floor here at our waste management facility. What you see in front of you is material that's been collected from the Chicago metro area. It was approximately 600 tons a day received, about 10 to 12,000 tons a month here to be processed at our facility. All that stuff ends up in bales, giant bricks of compacted paper, metal, or plastic, separated out and ready to be hauled off to yet another company. Coca-Cola or Anheuser-Busch might buy bales of old aluminum cans to cut the raw material costs of making new ones from scratch. International Paper might buy up recycled paper or cardboard, which makes up 68% of Chicago's blue cart material. But to prepare for their customers, waste management needs to sort through their self-replenishing, ceiling-high mountains of trash and separate everything out, material by material. So they send it through a labyrinth of conveyor belts, high-tech machines, and actual people who manually recover certain items from the trash rolling by. Think Willy Wonka and the trash factory. Yeah, and the first step of the process, right, we have employees in front of our mechanical screens pulling out these large bulky items so that they don't get caught in the mechanical screens. Swimming pools, tarps, uh, kids' toys, miscellaneous metals. So you do need people. But you might be surprised by how much of the work can be done by machines. Fans blow lighter materials away while bits of crushed metal and glass fall out into bins and onto conveyor belts below. A row of spinning wheels bounces plastic containers along, as long as plastic bags and food waste haven't gummed up the gears. Several types of magnets, fiber magnets, eddy currents, filter out more valuables. They even have a laser that can discern types of plastic. But what about the stuff that doesn't make it past this step? Just like those bins with the orange stickers in the alley, the sorting plant has to reject some of the material. A few examples are laid out on the factory floor. A basketball, a garden hose, even a Listerine bottle full of hypodermic needles. Paper that's too wet won't make the cut, and neither will anything caked with food waste. The needles go to a biohazard disposal, and the rest? All that stuff ends up in a landfill. So now we can answer what Sarah Bibick wanted to know. Does Chicago recycle stuff from the blue bins? The answer is yes, but not all of it, because of the contamination we've been talking about. Tony says about 80% of the blue bin stuff is recycled. The city says the rate's something closer to 85%. So that's our best answer for that part of the question. But where does it actually go? Well, it goes all over the world. A lot of paper and plastic goes overseas, often to China. Literally, shipping containers full of just old paper and plastic sailing to China. But metal? A lot of that stays local. 
So what you're looking at here is a 3003 alloy, a 5052 alloy. This is Kyle Witter showing me around pure metal recycling in Chicago's McKinley Park neighborhood. Um, and then a, that's, a, that's a different alloy called 6111, which is used to make uh, the Ford F-150. With the all-aluminum body Ford F-150 is created, we, we have some of the scrap here. They sift through all types of metal waste. Curly shavings of aluminum, empty beer cans, I even glimpse a piece of an old CTA bus, and send it to manufacturers who turn it into new products. They say all their steel ends up at mills within 200 miles of the city. So after all this, someone's got to be making money, right? Here's Waste Management's Mike Tunney. With respect to the value of the materials, we know that we're in a commodities business, and sometimes the value is up and sometimes the value is down. Um, and we're hopeful that the markets will return to their five-year averages, but right now it is a, it's a difficult proposition, uh, no question. So it's a tough market. But recycling has been touted as a way that cities can actually make money. So how is Chicago doing? I put that to Chris Sauve, the city's recycling director. Does the city make money on, at, at all? We have. So right now, recycling is a money-losing operation for the city. Um, it's not a money-losing operation. We're just not we're not receiving any reimbursement that would help pay for the help offset the cost of the operations. Yeah, sounds like losing money to me too. Which might be par for the course. Like a lot of cities, Chicago got into a low-margin business when commodity prices were up. The city's blue cart program got started in 2007, right when commodities markets were soaring through what's called a super cycle and arguably into a bubble. So there's really nothing unusual there. Um, It's just that your municipality, Chicago, has gotten involved in the commodity business and commodities go up and they go down. So you've got to ride it out. According to Adam Minter, who wrote a book about the global recycling trade called Junkyard Planet, that market is cyclical. And cities don't necessarily get into the recycling racket the way a straightforward business would. I mean, if you're starting a business, the first thing you think isn't, how much stuff can I make? It's, how much stuff can I sell? In other words, you're thinking about, is there a demand for my product? But the way municipal recycling programs work, they start from the other end. They say, we need to collect as much recycling as possible, and then we'll figure out where to sell. Well, that's not a very good business model. But it may not be as bad as our questioner, Sarah Bibick, feared. Remember, she just wondered if recycling was a feel-good sham. Uh, recycling isn't a sham. It's a half-trillion-dollar uh, industry globally. What you put in your recycling bin is put there so somebody else can consume it. You know, you're doing an environmental good deed, but you're also competing directly with, say, a bauxite miner you know, who's pulling bauxite out of the ground to be made into aluminum cans. You're competing against an iron ore miner. You're competing against a logger. I mean, you're part of a business. You're part of a commodity business. Sarah Bibick didn't think her recycling was feeding into this giant global trade, or that for the last several years, that business has ebbed and flowed largely with demand from manufacturers in China. But she's happy to know it's getting recycled at all, even if at least 20% of it ends up in the landfill anyway. Right, right. And that's a lot better than 100%. I mean, I voted for both Mayor Daley and Mayor Rahm Emanuel, but I quite honestly didn't have confidence that the, the contract was really being done on this recycling. So that's great to hear that it's even, you know, let's say worst case scenario, it's 80%. That's pretty exciting to me. And from now on, she says her family will do an even better job making sure their recycling doesn't get contaminated with garbage, plastic bags, or rainwater. Maybe if everybody gets better at recycling, 
even less will end up in the landfill. Hopefully the, the trash piles are not getting filled as quickly and we're not building new ones. And that's also really exciting. Reporting today came from me, Chris Bentley. Thanks to everyone who wrote in with recycling questions. You're curious about a lot of things, but statistically speaking, you're most curious about recycling. So feel free to recycle our podcast with repeat listens. Curious City was founded by Jennifer Brandel, WBEZ, AIR, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support comes from the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism. Curious City on WBEZ is supported by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible is offering Curious City listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash Curious City and download a title and start listening on your iPhone, iPad, Kindle, Android device, Windows phone, or over 500 different MP3 devices. Audible suggests Curious City listeners may enjoy books about Chicago, like The Devil in the White City or Fire on the Prairie. That's at audiblepodcast.com slash Curious City. Next time on Curious City, according to a global database, a Chicago swimmer was once attacked by a shark. Our reporter's quest for the truth. Have you ever heard of a shark in Lake Michigan? No. You know, another thing that I've encountered is beavers. Oh. Like like some big beavers. Definitely don't want to run one over or get too close to one. Anything that could take a bite out of you. Don't go in the water. Next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.